0: If you haven't already, keep your Bibles, um, keep your marker there in Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47. It's good to see you all here. Good to see you guys here early, um, singing out and uh, worshiping God together. Um, it's a blessing. 930 is not as bad as I thought it would be. Okay? Um, we're in the midst of a discussion that we've been uh, started a few weeks ago on the, the one body, the body of Christ or the church. And uh, we've been talking about what the church is. Uh, we've talked a little bit about what it is and what it's not. Um, we've talked a little bit about the differences, distinctions between the local and the universal church. Um, and last week, we, we, picked, we left off um, starting to discuss what is really the purpose of God's church? What is the purpose of the body? And, uh, and one of the things that been said as we finished last week was that the purpose of the body is to build up one another for the glory of God. And so today what I'd like to do is I'd like to explore that a little bit more in detail. I want to talk to us about how, does, how is the body of Christ built up? Um, well, and, and, and as we do this, I want to start by talking about what are some of the challenges um, of building up the body of Christ, particularly in 21st century uh, Brooklyn. Um, what are some of the challenges that come with that? Why is it necessary that we become a part of the body and build up the body of Christ? And, and, and then finally, we'll talk about what are some of the functions that the Bible gives us for, for the church? What are the functions of the church uh, uh, that God has designed to build up His body? So first, let's talk a little bit about the, the challenge of building up the body particularly challenges in our culture and how we overcome them uh, you when you read the book of acts chapter 2 and you read about how the disciples were together and they were devoting themselves to the word together they were devoting themselves to fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer and then it talks about how day by day they were they were one mind continuing uh in the temple and from house to house they're doing everything together you know they they're, they're there's something about that that just seems amazing and wonderful. There's also something about that that just seems a little bit unrealistic for us, I think particularly today. Uh, One of the things that is challenging about this is that uh, we live in the land of the free and the home of the lonely. Um, Really, New York City is is one of the most densely populated city, it is the most densely populated city in America. but still one of the loneliest cities in America. Um, and, and and while we are all desperately in need of community, it's, it's still not very easy to find real fellowship, real intimate relationships uh, with people that we could consider uh, family. We live in the land of the free, which among other things often means free from real community. Uh, and New York City, is no exception to that. Uh, it's also true that in America we kind of glorify the, this this independent life. Um, musicians and rappers write songs about the beauty of being I-N-D-E-P-E-N-D-E-N-T. Do you know what that means, right? Um, that from a young age we're kind of inundated with messages that tell us that the independent life is really the best life. And, and there's many things within our own society that work against developing this kind of real community, this r- real fellowship that the Bible describes. For um, one thing, you think about technological developments uh, over, the, over the past few years. Innovations in technology have made our world smaller. You know, we're, we're, we're a more mobile society and today you can call or send messages to people all around, instantly all around the world. Makes it easier to stay in touch with people but it also brings some, it also, it also makes it more difficult for us to develop real relationships. In an increasingly mobile society, uh, very, very few of our friends and our loved ones are actually fully present in our lives, if you know what I mean by that. Um, we get their words or their images, but often not their full selves. And media even gives us the illusion, I think sometimes, that we may have a stronger community with people that we really don't even know at all. Uh, there's just a few years ago there was an article that was ran in the New York Times um, about a blogger who had survived a plane crash in Arizona, and after the after the plane crash, um, people that had read her blog from all over all over the states were sending her gifts like extraordinary gifts, and so the. The, the Times was, was, was writing an article going back and talking to these people, like why are they being so generous towards her, somebody that they don't really know. And, and, and the readers told the Times that they actually saw little distinction between online friends and real friends. They saw very little distinction. The problem with that though is that, that when you're talking with somebody online or you're, you're in a virtual relationship it's really hard to see the full self. And that Times also interviewed the sister of the lady who passed away, and, or didn't pass away, but she crashed in the, in the plane. And, and the sister actually admitted that the blogger's relationships were not nearly as positive or perfect as they appeared online, but mentioned that she just chose to focus on the positive. And I think that's one of the problems. You see, while the relationship with her sister was a real relationship, the relationship with, her, with her, the people who read her blog uh, was more an illusion of intimacy than any sort of reality. Uh, another thing that is, is troubling or, or at least difficult for us is that um, technology has really divided our world into, into customizable parts. Um, if you go to the New York Times today and you read the news, you, know, you can go and you can read, you'll find articles on gun violence or the march, uh, the, the march of our lives, gun protests, um, you'll find you'll find some discussions about the possible war with North Korea. You'll find stuff on Trump's relationship with Russia. You'll also find articles on how the Black Panther is becoming the highest grossing uh, superhero movie in, in the United States. You'll find even things like, uh, are you really in love if it's not on Instagram? You know, you can find pretty much anything you want at a time. The interesting thing about this though is, I can go to the Times and pick and learn about only the things that I really want to know. We can kind of pick and choose what we want to be informed about. And so, and, and, and there's nothing that's going to force you to give any sustained attention to any one thing. Uh, in fact, even in music, you no longer have to buy an album. You can just pick and choose the songs that you'd really like that interest you. And so technology has made it much easier, I think, to simply think about the things that interest me. To simply think of ourselves, we tend to think less and less of ourselves as, less and less of ourselves as members of a community and more and more as simply just individuals. Whereas most ancient cultures much, were much more focused on value, the value of relationships, families, clans, tribes, and that was even priced over individual needs. In our society today, we act first and foremost as individual consumers. Focusing on what our needs are, our needs run supreme. And so, if they're not being met, then we go elsewhere. We go somewhere else. If this site's not giving me what I want in news, I'll just go somewhere else and get get it somewhere else. And the same is true with religion. I mean, think about it. Why go to church when you can just live stream the church, the, the, your favorite preacher or pastor online? You know, why why uh, why go to church and sing some songs that maybe you don't even enjoy singing when you can just pick and choose your favorite worship songs on the internet and just sing about home? Um, why go to a church where you may, you may be struggling or be, you know, a church where, where there may be problems when you can just be at home and live on your own and, and not have to deal with other people's problems? Increasingly, we think more and more that way in our society. I'll say this, too. I think this is even more unique to New York, um, at least in America. Um, another thing that makes it challenging is just that we are a city of labor. It's really hard to be day by day with Christians because people are working so much. We're working so much in our society. The average work week worldwide is about 34 hours. And actually, the average work week in the U.S. is about 34 hours. But interestingly, in New York, the average work week is 42 and a half hours plus an over six-hour commute. So that's another 15 hours. uh, Uh... in New York where, where people are people are at work or commuting to and from work and actually um, studies have actually shown studies have been done that have shown that um, couples in which a partner one partner commutes more than 45 minutes each day uh, to work they're actually 40% more likely to divorce now why is that well the truth is it's just much more difficult to have an intimate community when you're apart all Now, having said all that, that that talks about why it's challenging. Nonetheless, the Bible tells us that as Christians, we really do need to be day by day, together, in community, encouraging one another, helping one another. So I want to talk for a moment then about why it's so important that we get this and why it's so important that as a church, we develop this intimate community that God has intended for us. The Bible tells us from the very beginning that it's not good that man should be alone. And obviously throughout history we recognize this problem. Even, even today, in, in, in our society, we are recognizing more and more this problem. There are many different, uh, if you go online and you check out Meetup, um, you can find all kinds of Meetup groups that seek to connect lonely New Yorkers with a community of people, right? Even businesses, companies, many uh, new businesses are, are, st- are trying to be more and more, less of just a place to get a paycheck, and more and more a community. They want their workers not only to work together, but many companies want their workers to eat together, to have fun together, to even party together, to make it more and more like a community. And and naturally, we are going to be drawn to some sort of common community, right? Something that we have in common. I think that's also true why veterans of war tend to spend so much time together. You You go through something especially hard like that together. There's a strong bond that comes with that. Still, the problem with all man-made communities is this. At some point, they're all going to come to an end. And because of that, they're all going to disappoint in the end. What's different, though, about God's solution to this, about God's church, is that God has created a a God-centered community that will endure forever. That is, the church is the one community you can be a part of that's actually going to not end, it's going to endure forever. And so there are a whole lot of reasons why we need to be in church, why we need to be a part of a church, why we need to be in a community of fellowship of believers. But today I just want to focus on two, and I want us to think about these two as the scriptures emphasize them, and then we'll look at how each of the functions of the church help us with these two, in these two areas. First of all, we need to be with the body. We need to be a part of the body because that's how we grow. Do you remember in Ephesians 2, hold your marker in Acts 2, we'll come back there, but in Ephesians chapter 2, we read in verse 19 what God is doing through Jesus Christ. In Ephesians 2 and verse 19, the Bible says, Paul says there, that you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, God's family, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are also being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Do you see what he's emphasizing there? If you want to grow up in Christ, it happens together. Did you notice we're being fitted together and growing into a holy temple? We are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. The Bible emphasizes that if we want to grow up in Christ, growth as God intends it happens in the body, not apart from it. Chapter 4 in verses 15 through 16, we saw, he says, to speak the truth in love. We are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Do you see it again? There again, speaking the truth, we are to grow up in all aspects. How? Being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies. Again, the emphasis here is that growth comes in the body, not apart from the body. 1 Peter 2 in verse 5, uh, he describes us, Peter describes us as living stones. Well, when does a stone have purpose? When it's connected with other stones. One individual stone doesn't accomplish a lot, but stones that are connected and built upon each other and fitted together can, acomp- can build a great building, a great temple. In the same way, we are Being built together, fitted together to become a temple of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 21 talks about the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. I think sometimes we think that, don't we? We think I don't need other Christians. I can do this on my own. I can grow on my own. But the truth is that we all need each other. We We all need each other in order to grow into a holy temple of God. And you may feel like you don't really need to be a part of the body or you don't really need to be connected to the body. You may feel like, you you know, really all I need to do is just go to church maybe once a week or, you know, show up on Sunday or something like that. But the truth is that God has designed us in such a way that we grow through community, that we grow through fellowship with one another. And with this, the writer of Proverbs agrees. Proverbs 18 and verse 1, he says, he who isolates himself seeks his own desire and he Against all sound wisdom. Do you see what the see what the writer of Proverbs is saying? Wisdom says, I cannot grow, I cannot become all that God wants me to be all on my own. We need to be together. So being in community, being in a part of the church is the way that you will grow. But secondly, it's also the way that you will serve, it's the way that you will minister. In Ephesians four, the emphasis on the verses that we just read um, talks about how the body is not only how we grow, it's also how we serve. In fact, do you remember where he talked about how God, in verse 11, God gave gifts to the body so that we would be equipped, for what? To work in ministry. That is, to serve, to work in service. And it's each, it's each member's responsibility and privilege. To be able to contribute, to serve, to supply something to the body. Just as the scripture we just read says, that, that, the, that the body is being built up by what every joint supplies. Now you see, in scripture, this is giving us a very much a radically different approach to church than what we see in our culture today. Uh, think again about how, how most people decide about what church they're going to be a part of. We choose the church that most fits me. The church, that, uh, the, the church that gives me what I need or what I want. The church that best suits my needs. In fact, that's what often is encouraged. Just find the church that is best for you. The church that will best suit your needs. But the scriptures actually teach us that the, that, that the church is not about primarily about taking. It's about giving. It's not primarily about what can I get out of it. It's about what can I offer. What can I give? What can I supply so that the body of Christ is being built up? And let me just say, you may think that you don't have much to offer. But the scriptures tell us otherwise. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 in verse 14, he, Paul says in, in, in chapter 12 and verse 14. The body is not one member, but many. And if the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body, it's not for this reason any the less a part of the body. If the ear says, because I'm not an eye, am I not a part of the body? It's not for this reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as as he desired. If we were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, but one body. And the eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you, or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it's much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which seem be less honorable are actually become much more honorable much more presentable, whereas our presentable members have no need. God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to the member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body. Do you see what he's saying here? Do you see the emphasis that he's giving? God has created the body in such a way that even the members that may seem more important really aren't more important. Uh, Just to illustrate this. Which members of your body did you spend the most time preparing in order to come here today? This doesn't work for all of you, but it does work for some of you. And it doesn't work for you, Cliff. Um, But it doesn't work for me either. But some of us, when we prepare to come together, one of the things that we give a lot of attention to is our hair. Let me ask you this, though. Is your hair, your hair is a very presentable part of your body, right? But is it the most important part of your body? Could you live without your hair? Some of you are, right? Some of us live without hair. The hair may be more presentable, but that doesn't make it more important. In the same way, God has composed the body, spiritually speaking. So that sometimes, you may say, well, this gift is so important. What that person's doing, that's really what matters. Actually, God has created the body in such a way that oftentimes, the gifts that are less evident or less recognized are actually just as vital or even more vital than what what is easily seen, what is presentable. That is to say that God has made the body in such a way that every one of us has something to offer. Uh, One early Christian wrote this, and I think this is helpful. When we live our lives in isolation, what we have is unavailable, and what we lack is unobtainable. That's a really good summary of why it's important for us to be a part of the church. Why it's important for us to be a part of this community that God has created. If you're, if you're isolated, what you lack is unavailable. You can't grow all by yourself. If you're isolated, what you have is unavailable. You can't use the good things that God has given you to serve one another. So with that in mind, let's spend the last few minutes here um, talking about the functions that God has given to his church. What are these functions? that God has given to his church, how is the church supposed to build up the body? How is the body going to be built up? And for me, there's no better place to begin here than the passage that Richard read in Acts chapter two, when the church began. When the early church in Jerusalem was begun, in Acts chapter two, we learned that they weren't just added to the body, they began to build up the body. Look at Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, where Luke writes that they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And everybody kept feeling a sense of awe. Many wonders and signs were taking place for the apostles. And all who had believed were together, and they had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them all as anyone might have need day by day continuing with one mind in the temple they were breaking bread from house to house and they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved what do you see in the early church What do you see in this new group of believers who have now just been baptized into Christ and are beginning their new walk with Christ? You see them devoting themselves to the Word, devoting themselves to the Apostles' teaching. Why would that be so important? Well, think about this. They realized that becoming a disciple didn't end at baptism. That was just the beginning. That was the beginning of a lifelong journey. They had had much to learn about God the Father and about Jesus. In fact, if you were there on the day of Pentecost and were to ask some of those brand new Christians about what did Jesus teach about this or what did Jesus say about that, do you think they'd be able to answer all those questions? They knew that they had much to learn about who Jesus was, what it is he wanted from them, and so they devoted themselves to the scriptures. They knew that that was how they would grow up more and more into the image of God into his likeness and so they devoted themselves to the Apostles teaching they devoted themselves to the teachings of Jesus they devoted themselves to learning the teachings of the Apostles and the, and the Old Testament scriptures I want us to think about this if we're going to be a church that is that is built upon the foundation where Jesus is head where Jesus is cornerstone then we have, we must be a church that's devoted to the word together We must be a church that's in the Word together, where we're spending time uh, learning the scriptures together, discussing what we see about Jesus and what it is that Jesus wants from us and how it should be changing us. We're We're not just learning to know, we're learning to change and to grow and become more and more like God. And the truth is, you can learn a lot about God on your own, but you'll learn more in a community. You'll learn more by being together with other brothers and sisters. If I only read the Bible on my own, my sin will blind me to things that I don't that I that I could see that I could become more aware of if I'm studying the Bible in community. Notice too here that there's also a devotion to prayer. And if you read if you read throughout the Book of Acts, there's probably nothing that's more emphasized that fuels the growth of the early church than prayer. The Christians are often gathering together and they're praying together. Why is that? Well, prayer is how we stay connected to that. Prayer is how we stay connected to God and to Christ. It's how we keep growing up into Him. It's how we keep our eyes fixed on Him. It's how we keep our minds renewed. It's how we keep our, our hearts set on the things of Christ. It's also how we help each other. In fact, you'll see in the early church in Jerusalem, you'll see them gathered together to pray for one another. Somebody gets locked up for preaching the gospel. And they're gathering together with what purpose? Praying for them. And praying that God would deliver them and God would strengthen them. Prayer is what fueled the early church. It's what fueled the the growth of the disciples. Now, I want to say this. This is one of those things that it's very easy for us to neglect. And even if we are doing it on our own, sometimes it's easy for us not to devote much time to it Together. Because prayer is one of those things that you don't see an immediate, tangible benefit from. At least not always. You don't always feel like, oh, we accomplished something. But the truth is that if we try to accomplish anything apart from Jesus, we will accomplish nothing. What did Jesus tell his disciples? Apart from me, you can do nothing. That is to say that everything that we are going to do will only be fruitful if we are dependent upon him. And the way that we show we are dependent upon. It's by our devotion to prayer reading his word and listening to him and talking to God and telling God how much we need him And so prayer is about bringing us closer notice the third thing that's emphasized here is is this word fellowship fellowship and the text emphasizes that Christians were together both both in the temple that would be in a large assembly and then also house to house, that would be in much smaller groups or assemblies. And I want to suggest that there's, there's, there's a value to, that, to both of those. There's, a, there's an encouragement that we receive from gathering together as a large group together and worshiping God together. There's an encouragement that, that, that can't be replaced on our own. There's also a real encouragement that comes from being in small groups, one-on-one conversation, or two or three, or in just a a few small people, small group of people gathering together, encouraging one another. The early church knew that growth would come through spending time together. And so they spent time together because they knew that's how they would grow. That's also how they would help each other to grow. In fact, the Hebrew writer would say, much later, unless you think this is just about the church in Jerusalem, the Hebrew writer would say in Hebrews chapter 3, how do we prevent evil, unbelieving hearts in our brethren that fall away from the living God? You know what he says? He says, encourage one another day after day, as long as it's still called today, so that no one will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We suggest this if we're not together if we're not living with one another and for one another if we're not together how will be how will we be able to know what words to speak so that we can give grace to those who hear if we're not together how will we know when a brother or sister is weak and is struggling and in need of help and encouragement If we're not together, how will we we be able to build each other up and strengthen each other's faith so that we can endure when the evil days come and the hard days come that we know will surely come? Fellowship fueled the early church. One of the functions of the church was to provide places where the church could be together to encourage one another and to build each other up. Also, you see in this passage uh, an emphasis on worship. One of the functions of the church is that the church would worship together. Uh, You see that in verse 42, where they're devoting themselves not just to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, but also to the breaking of bread. There, I think, clearly a a reference to the Lord's Supper. They're gathering together to, to, to break bread together so that they can remember the Lord's death. Why do we come together on the first day of the week each week? It's to renew our minds with the truth that Jesus died for us on the cross, that he died for our sins, that he was buried and that he was raised. And in the same way, God can raise us up and and, and make us alive through Christ Jesus, teach us how to live and how to walk in him. Worship is how we build one another up. I won't spend a lot more time on this. Ben talked a good bit about this last last week. But in 1 Corinthians 14, the purpose of worship is to build up the body. Paul emphasizes over and over again that everything that's done together is meant to be edifying to one another. And so worship is not just about me growing. It's also about me serving my brothers and sisters. It's about how I minister to one another. And we come together to praise God together so that we can Lift up each other's spirits so that we can strengthen each other's faith, so that we can refocus our lives, our minds, our hearts on Jesus Christ and on God. We come together to praise and adore God, and as we do that, we undergo a radical decentering of ourselves and a radical recentering of God on the throne of our hearts. That's what worship is really about. As I go through my week, I can, I can easily get distracted, and other things can creep onto the throne of my heart, and we come back together and we worship on our own, and also as a community, it, it takes my other desires off the throne and puts God back on the rightful place, the throne of our hearts. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 5, and verse 19, we're coming to this text in our Bible class. He talks about how one of the things that is, that, that is, how we know that we're filled with the Spirit is that we're speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We're singing and making melody with our hearts to the Lord. Notice that when we sing, we're singing to God, but we're also singing to one another. That is, we're also here to to build each other up and to help one another, to strengthen one another, to encourage each other, to to remain faithful, to worship God, to seek Him and to do His will. Another function of the church is is training and equipping. You see that, we've seen that in Ephesians 4 already, but remember back even the Great Commission. What did Jesus say? Go make disciples. How? Baptizing them and teaching them. To observe all that I commanded. I love the fact that he says teaching them to observe. He doesn't say teach them to know all that I've commanded. Teach them to live how I've commanded. Think about that. Training and equipping is is an essential part of church, an essential function of the church. That is, we come together to equip one another in discipleship. Is really about helping each other, not just to know what God wants, but also to become what God wants. Remember what Jesus said? Everyone, when he's fully trained, will become like his teacher, will become like his master. Why do we come together? Why do we spend time uh, together as a church? It's so that we might train and equip one another, so that we may be able to minister and become more and more like Jesus. A sixth function of the church I mentioned here is, is, is ministry. Notice why God gave gifts to equip the church. It's so that we would become ministers. And let's just talk for a moment about some of the types of ministry that the church, you see the church engaged in. Even in Acts chapter 2, you see this. The ministry of benevolence. In Acts chapter 2, in verse uh, 44, it says that all who had believed were together and they had all things in common, they began selling their property and possessions, and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. One of the ways that we minister to one another is by gathering together and talking to one another and finding out what our needs are, and then sharing the things that we have that we have with those who have need. In fact, all throughout the scriptures, you see an emphasis on. Paul will instruct the rich, those who are rich, not to put their trust in riches, but to give, to share with those who have needs. God has designed the body in a way so that when one member is lacking, the other members are able to help, to strengthen, to give whatever is in need. And we might think about benevolence primarily with financial possessions or, the, or, or, or money or things like that. But don't think about it just in that way. It could also be an encouragement, ministering to one another with encouragement. Strengthening those who are weak. Encouraging those who are new to stand firm in the Lord, stand firm in God's grace. Another really important part of ministry that's overlooked, I think, a lot of times, maybe even neglected... That the Bible emphasizes is discipline. One of the functions of the church, one of the reasons why we gather together, is so that we can help each other to draw closer to God. And sometimes we stray. And sometimes we fall off that pattern. So Jesus gives a pattern in Matthew 18 for what we should do in those circumstances to discipline or chasten a brother or sister and bring them back to the Lord. Uh, The passage that Ben spoke of last week in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 where a man was in the church but he was stealing his father's wife. And what did Paul tell the church at Corinth that they needed to do about that? He told them that they needed to deliver him to Satan. That is that they needed to deliver him and put him out of the church. Now why is that? Well, it actually wasn't to try to destroy him. It's actually for his growth. They're actually doing that as a ministry to him. To try to save him. Because here's a man who is deliberately violating one of the commands of God. He's deliberately disobeying what the scriptures teach. God says the church needs to act to take discipline. So that that man will be brought back. Just as the Lord loves those whom he chastens. So also his church, if we love one another, we will chasten one another. I want to tell you, you have an obligation, a privilege... And a responsibility when you say things in me that are not like Christ to come to me and to say, hey, look, Caleb, in this area, you're not acting like Christ and you need to repent. We have that responsibility for each other. It's one of the ways that we minister to each other by by encouraging one another and admonishing and sometimes even correcting and rebuking one another so that we may continue to grow closer and closer to God. Finally, one of the things that you see in, in the early church and it's a really important part a really important function of the church is evangelism. Uh, one place that emphasizes this is in Acts chapter 11. In fact, even in Acts 2 you see that as they were gathering together and as they were in the word and as they were in prayer and as they were worshiping and as they're sharing what was God doing? He was adding to their number. And that's actually the pattern that you see all throughout the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 11, when the church at Antioch begins, note that when it reaches the ears of the church at Jerusalem, they send Barnabas off to Antioch. Because the church felt a responsibility to build up the church, not just in that locale, but in other places as well. And when Barnabas arrived and saw that there was more work to do than he could handle, he goes and he finds Saul. He saw that considerable numbers were being brought to the Lord. He goes to find Saul. And when he finds him, he brings him to Antioch. And together there for an entire year, it says they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. If you go a little bit further, you see that in Acts, in, in, the, in, the, in the church at Antioch, in Acts chapter 13, there, there were prophets and teachers. And they had a number of them. They had Barnabas, Simeon. Lucius, Manaen, and Saul. Notice there wasn't just one teacher over the church. They had many teachers. And, we, and while that's going on, the Holy Spirit tells the church, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I've called them to. And they fast, they pray, they lay their hands on them, and they send them away. So the church is building up the body so that it may send out workers to do the work of God, spreading his gospel, sharing the good news, even to parts and places where it has not yet gone. I want to tell you, one of the things that we hope to do and accomplish as, this, as a church here is to equip and to train one another so that when people leave, not everybody's going to stay here in Brooklyn for the rest of your life, probably, but when people leave, we can send them out and send them out to do good wherever they go. The truth is, though, if you read the entire book of Acts, Really, the churches are functioning together in evangelism. Evangelism is not just something that you did as an individual. It's something you also see people doing in pairs, doing in small groups. It's something that you see local churches investing in. helping, Helping and doing their part to spread the gospel. And so really all of these seven things are functions that you see the church Involved in to build up the body of Christ And just to bring it back home As we start to think about What, are, what is this church going to be involved in What are we going to be doing what's, going to, what's our purpose How are we going to build up the body of Christ We need to go back to the scriptures and say What have the scriptures taught us About how the body of Christ is built up What have the scriptures shown us That the church is to be involved in When we're trying to make decisions about How are we going to use our money We ought to be thinking about what are the functions that we see the church doing in Scripture. We're trying to think about how are we going to use our time and our resources and what are we going to invest in. We ought to go back and look at these functions of the church and think about them. Well, maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian. Maybe you haven't been added to the body of Christ. If you're here and in that position, I want to tell you, there's no better community to be a part of than this one. Truthfully, all other communities will come to an end. But the church of God is the one community that will endure forever. Not only that, but the church is the, is the community that was purchased with the blood of Christ. That is to say, Jesus came and died so that he might purchase you, buy you back out of your sins, and give you a new life in him through Christ Jesus. We're about to break bread together. We're about to partake of the Lord's Supper in which we will remember Jesus' body and his blood which was shed for us. Before that, we're gonna sing a song. I think it's number 294, is that right? 297, what the Lord has done in me. Where we'll sing, Hosanna, Hosanna. Interestingly, Hosanna is what they shouted on Palm Sunday. Jesus came into Jerusalem. Hosanna. Lord, save us, we pray. That's what we're singing to God. And as we partake of the Lord's Supper today, I want want you to think about what the Lord has done for you. What the Lord has done in you. How the Lord rescued you from your sins. How He purchased you with His body that was broken and His blood that was shed on the cross. As we partake of the Lord's Supper, may our minds be renewed. May our hearts be renewed recent on Jesus Christ. We'll sing a song and then we'll partake of the Lord's Supper together. If there's anybody here who needs to repent, if there's anybody here who needs to become a Christian, we want to encourage you to do that today. Let us know how we can help you. We sing our last.